our hearts and our minds to be found in you and with you. Because, Lord, we recognize that without you, none of this could happen. So, Lord, take our minds, take our thoughts, take my words, infuse them with your Holy Spirit. Let there be less of me so that there can be more of you. Raise up in this place your people and let us be found transformed by your Spirit. In your holy name we pray. Amen. In the season of Epiphany, as Faye mentioned, the season of considering gifts, considering the gifts that we have, living out our gifts. And our wall is slowly filling up with stories. Um, again, if you haven't taken money, please do so. There's still a couple of envelopes down the bottom left-hand corner. Uh, if you have your story, please bring it back and mark it with a dot so that we know to read. If you just want to spend some time over at the wall reading the stories, please do so. But these little gifts, these planting of seeds have grown up to become amazing things. Um, I hear stories about people just showing up with their money and talking about what they're going to do and others want to donate to that cause. And so then 10 becomes 150 or Sandy doing the, the race and that $10 seed over $300 now have donated for the Parkinson's Foundation for the run. And so these little seeds are starting to grow up and produce fruit. And we're going to continue to hear these stories. And we're considering what it is to live out the gifts that God gives us, recognizing that he is the giver of all the gifts and that we have the privilege of letting these gifts flow through us. And so today we're going to zoom in on this idea of the gift of being challenged. You heard the gospel reading today. And the Sermon on the Mount continues. And Jesus is about to get into some of those teachings that are really hard to hear. Like, you've heard it said, don't kill each other, and, and that's great. But I tell you, if you look at someone with anger in your heart, you've already murdered them. And you go, wait a second. That's a new level, right? I cannot kill but not be angry at someone. I cannot commit adultery but not lust. Whoa, these are big things to ask. And so the gift of us being challenged and I think when um, we start about being challenged, we think about growing, about becoming new people, about um, trying something new. And I don't know if this is true, but this is the story you always hear, right, about the way we are taught how to swim, where the, you know, just, just pitch them into the water and they'll swim. Now, you do not have to raise your hand, but I am curious, did anybody actually learn how to swim this way? Okay, a okay, couple. In the first service, we had about the same number of people. This idea of just throw them into the water and you will learn because you want to live. And we, we think about that and we go, okay, well, is that the right way to become better at swimming? Maybe not. Now, God wants us to grow up. God wants us and realizes that we start in one place and we have to grow and learn new things. In fact, right after the first Corinthians passage that Faye read to us, he goes on and he says this, and so brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food. For you are not ready for solid food. Even now you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? 
the image that Paul is giving us here is an image that um, is one of a baby. When Paul was ministering um, 2,000 years ago, they didn't drink milk regularly, right? That wasn't a part of their diet the way it is for us. So if he's saying, I fed you with milk, the direct line he's saying, the image he's giving is, I breastfed you like a baby. I wish that you could have solid food now, but you can't yet. You are still little babies, and I want you to grow up. So God wants us and realizes that in faith, we start out as as little babies, just learning these things, just understanding these things. But the intention is for us to grow and to mature. And how do we do that? Well, we do that by being challenged, by learning new things, by taking a new step. And as we talked about last week, when we come to the Sermon on the Mount, something fascinating is happening. We, we made the point last week that for four chapters, Jesus says very few words. In fact, I put all the words on the screen up, remember? Just four or five verses, little short statements. And he's about to do three chapters of teaching. And so Jesus is, is walking, he's healing, he's preparing, he's doing all these wonderful ministry things, but he hasn't taught yet about what he's doing this for. And then he starts his great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Matthew intentionally puts him up on a hill. He puts him up and points to Moses, right? The way Moses taught Mount Sinai on this hill. And his very first words, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. His very first words are, Divine favor, blessedness, falls on people whom you do not expect. It, he's, he's saying, here are the people whom we assume are the blessed ones. The rich, the leaders, the powerful. But let me tell you where my blessings go. My blessings go to the poor in spirit. My, ple- my blessings go to those who mourn. To the meek. To the peacemakers. And in doing so, he has taught us that the blessings of God extend far beyond our imaginations, far beyond the people whom we would say, those are the blessed ones. And by starting his sermon this way, I think what Matthew's pointing out in Christ is that Christ comes first and foremost to establish this beautiful net of grace that catches us when we fall. Blessed are you when you're broken, when you fall, when you hurt. You still are in my kingdom. You're still blessed. He establishes this amazing net that we are caught in. This net of grace and of love. And the image that I've had this week is if you're learning how to walk on a tightrope, which I don't know how to do, but if you're learning how to walk on a tightrope, I would assume you start with the net, right? You don't just string it up between the Grand Canyon and say, let's figure this out. No, you start by having a net underneath you to catch you. And the very first words that um, Matthew puts in Jesus' mouth when he starts his gospel, 
is blessed are you when you're at your least, when you're hurting the most, when you don't understand which way is up or down. Divine favor still falls upon you. See, it's this grace net. The same idea, um, and again, Matthew was pointing to Moses a lot, right? He's going, look at Jesus fulfilling all the things Moses did. Matthew being our most Jewish gospel. And the way that God starts the Ten Commandments, I think, is so important. And look at this. We think of the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, as this list of things to do, to be mature in Christ, to be challenged. But the very first word that God gives us in the Sermon on the Mount is this. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That is a word of grace. I am the God who saves you. God's first word towards us always is grace. And so then when we're challenged, we know that there's a net of grace to catch us. The next becomes then the list. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship false idols. You shall honor your father and your mother. But the first word always is a word of grace, is a word of reconciliation, a word of forgiveness, a word of this net that catches us. And so instead of this image of learning how to swim, isn't the way most of us learned how to swim something like this? Where's the teacher? In the water. Doing what? Holding the student. Holding her as she learns how to swim. This is the net of grace that God gives us to, to bring us through. And then slowly what happens? Slowly they let us go. And slowly then, when we hear these challenging words, we know that God's right there to catch us. God gave me um, a good illustration just this weekend. I have the two littles by myself this weekend. And so um, enjoying the father life. And we went down to Emily's parents' house. And that's in Holtville, California. So right above Mexico by Yuma, that side of California. And I keep telling Emily, I'm like, our kids have the greatest existence of any kids because they grow up by the beach and then they go out here where there's acres of land that they own that have horses and cows and a rooster that walks around and sheep. And just this is like the extremes of my kids' lives, right? Hope loves everything horse. So it's looking like an expensive future and Papa's future for us. Um, but someone has to pay those bills. So Hope is enjoying all of those things, horses. But Isaac is only two, right? So he's still learning how to do these horse things. And so we got Isaac on the horse, and the horse was sitting still, and Papa was there talking to Isaac. And we said, do you want the horse to take a step? And Isaac said, nope. Let's just sit here, right? Don't want to be challenged. Don't want to do any farther. Let's just sit on the horse. You can kind of see on his face going, this is, this is far enough. Then Isaac came up with a plan where he said, Dad, come over here and hold my hand. And I held his hand and Papa was on the other side of him. And then he let the horse take a step. And then slowly the horse started taking more steps. And then by the end of the afternoon, 
Isaac was doing this thing that they call the potato race, riding the horse by himself and throwing it into the tire, throwing the little um, potato into the tire. But it starts with just having your hand held. This is how we teach. This is how we learn. And God gives us these words, doesn't he? Jesus, before he says these incredibly hard things, like, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. First understand that there's a net of grace to catch you. Now be challenged. Now, I could end this sermon right here and I'd be doing you a disservice. Because all of this makes so much good sense human-wise. And, and it's all true. Everything we've been saying is true. But there's a huge important thing that we need to talk about. Because if we ended right here, there would be this temptation in all of us to say, okay, so God's challenging us. We're supposed to grow in faith, mature in faith, and God will catch us when we fail. And that's all, that's all good and right. But what does maturity in faith look like? Is it doing more? Is it being in Bible study more? Is it giving more to the poor? Is it helping the hungry more or the homeless more? Is that, is that what it is? Is it you out of your actions and work and resources doing more? And this is where Jesus turns the world upside down again. It's not about you doing more. That's not what grows you in faith. What is becoming mature in faith is in fact realizing that you can't do it. And you need Christ to do it in you. Slipping off of the tightrope, sinking in the water, standing on the horse, the failure is not not doing it. The failure is saying, I can do it by myself. I got this, God. I don't need you. Look at me. And so, um, Luther, he did this amazing thing where when he looked at scripture, he said scripture is composed of two things. It's composed of law and gospel, words of grace and forgiveness. We've heard those words. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, the land of slavery. Gospel, the love of God. And then you hear these words we just read. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. How do those words feel? You go, uh-oh, right? So you're telling me, Jesus, if I don't look better than those who are trying every day, every moment to be perfectly holy, I'm not getting in. And that should make us rightly feel in despair. It should make us throw up our hands and say, well, then who can be holy? And that's exactly what the text wants us to do. That's what it wants Jesus to do. Because it's only then, it's only when you're in that position, do you look to Christ. And do you say, I can't do it on my own. I have no hope. The hope that I have is in you doing it for me and through me. And what's amazing about God is that that's what he wants to do. He doesn't want you to try to do it on your own. He doesn't want you to leave this sermon thinking, okay, the pastor said, I, I have the net of grace, but I need to try. I need to do more and do more and do more and give more and try harder. But what I want you to hear is that you can't 
do this on your own. And you were never intended to. All you were intended to do was be the failure that you are on your own. Christ wants to do it in you. When we slip off the tightrope, when we sink in the water, when we refuse to allow the horse to walk, it's because we're holding on and we're trying to do it. And what God wants to do is saying, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you myself to fill you up so that I can do this work in you. Stop trying so hard. Stop trying to do it on your own. Let me do it for you, in you, and through you. And that's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that it's not about your work. It's about God building the safety net for us as well as God doing the work inside of us. And that's good news. This week in um, staff meeting, Jolene was talking about a quote that one of her professors said in class that week that just rocked her world and made her reflect and think and just really consider um, kind of all these different things of faith. And um, this is the quote, and I don't know where the book it came out of or the professor, so you have the source now, <laughs> okay? But um, it's not mine, but I think it's beautiful, and it sums up this point. The quote that her professor said was this, Simon could have looked inside himself his whole life and never found Peter. You think about Simon Peter, the disciple. His name, his given name is Simon from, the, from his dad. And what this is saying is that Simon could have worked his whole life, tried harder, tried to learn new things, tried to be better, tried to go out and serve more people and feed more people and give more and teach more and learn more. He could have worked and worked and worked and worked and he never would have become Peter. How did he become Peter? He became Peter when Jesus um, gives this whole long sermon and all of these things are going on and Jesus is talking to him saying, what does the world say I am? And all these answers come at him and then Peter says the simple statement. Well, Jesus asks him, so, so who do you say I am? And Simon at that point says, you're the Lord, you're the Messiah. You are the one who's going to come and save us. And Jesus looks at Peter and Simon right now. And he says, upon this rock, that statement, I will build my church. And the word rock there is Petros, which is Peter. And you are to be called Peter. How did Peter get his name? Was it from doing more? Was it from trying harder? No. It was from looking at Jesus and recognizing who he was. That he's the Messiah. He's the one who wants to do it. He's the one who wants to save it. Save you. And in that, he got a new name. He got called Peter. I think we spend a lot of time when we hear this idea of being challenged. It very quickly becomes, what can I do? How can I do more? And 
we spend a lot of times looking inside of our lives, inside of ourselves, to somehow get better. Stop. Look to the cross. Look to the one who gave himself for you. Look to the one who gave his Holy Spirit to fill you up. Look to the one who wants to bring you peace that passes understanding, joy that passes understanding. Stop trying so hard. Stop and let Christ do it in you. The amazing gift is that God has built a safety net of grace to catch us. So that he can say these incredibly hard words to us and we can hear them and we can feel utterly overwhelmed by them because they are so hard. But we can throw our hands up and say, so Lord, who can be saved? And Christ can say, now I can use you. Now I can fill you up with my spirit and I can take over. Then don't we try again? And we try and we try. And our life is this series of trying and repenting of trying and allowing Christ to do it. And so let us be found in a place where we're willing to receive our name from Christ. Not looking inside of ourselves. Not looking to have more strength and more ability. But instead recognizing that God has built a net to catch us when we fail. And the only way that failure looks by trying too hard on our own. Instead of looking to the one who wants to fill you up with his Holy Spirit so that he can do the work through you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a God who doesn't give up on us. We thank you for being a God who shows us your love. Lord, we hear these hard words and, and these this, let your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees. And we feel in despair And Lord, we realize that it's at those times that you fill us up with your Holy Spirit and that you give us new life. And so, Lord, we're asking to be found in that position, on our knees, hands raised, saying, but who can be saved? And you say, I will do that work for you. Lord, help us to receive that great gift And when we're challenged, when we're asked to to walk on the tightrope, to look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, to fill us up and to do that work for us. Knowing that when we try our own, when we try to ride the horse to swim, to to, um, walk the tightrope, and we slip off because of our own strength, that you catch us every time. You You put us back up and you remind us that you want to do the work for us. So Lord, thank you for that good truth. Thank you for being a God who holds our hands. Thank you for being a God who gently guides us and never gives up on us. Lord, thank you for being that good, good God. In your holy name we pray. Amen.